The audience for these books, it's not a professional audience per se. It's not people in my silo. That was the issue is that we, as sustainability folks, we love to talk amongst ourselves, but that's not the point. (laughs) The point is to get other people to action the things we're talking about. So we can't speak to them in the same voice. So getting these books out there in a voice that's very approachable, that speaks to everybody, not just the scientists or government officials is so, so important. And that also necessitated getting a book out to the public. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hi, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to talk with an author, and uh, go figure, I know it's shocking because we never do that, Um, (laughs) but today we're going to talk with an author by the name of John Pabham, who has uh, is not only going to teach us a little bit about his experience as in becoming an author and some of the things he learned along the way, which we always love to hear, but we're also going to find out some tips and ideas on how we can think differently about protecting our beautiful Mother Earth. Uh, now, John Pabon has spent two decades in the business of saving our Earth. After leaving his role at the United Nations, John traveled the world studying the impacts of sustainability firsthand in factories, on fields, and in Fortune 500 companies. His mission is to move sustainability from theory to practical strategies that help people and businesses confidently take action to make real impact. Over his 20-year career, He's had the privilege of working with the United Nations, McKinsey, A.C. Nielsen, and as a consultant with BSR, uh, the world's largest sustainability-focused business network. He's also the founder of Fulcrum Strategic Advisors and program director for the Conference Board's Asia Sustainability Leaders Council and serves on the board of advisors to the U.S. Green Chamber of Commerce. John is also the author of two books. One, this is is called Sustainability for the Rest of Us, Your No Bull Stuff, Five-Point Plan for Saving the Planet, which he self-published in 2020, and his upcoming book, The Great Greenwashing, which will be out in June of 2023. So I think you will have... I hope you have as much fun listening to this interview as I did doing it. Enjoy. So, John, welcome to the Author's Corner. Robin, thanks for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. I am so looking forward to this. As I was mentioning to you earlier, I just love saving the environment, and I love people who are committed enough to doing that. They're actually authoring books about it. And I love talking about something more than just the content of the book and how it actually worked. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Although, although of course I'm 
chomping at the bit, especially about the one that's not out yet. But anyway, I, I'm going way ahead of myself. So as our listener just heard, you have a, an extensive background that clearly qualifies you to write uh, the survival guide. And um, because it's, oh, the great greenwashing, because that's the that's the title I really love, the, like crazy about the great greenwashing, which is coming out in June. So uh, before we get into anything like that, I would love for you to share, because I think this is such an important thing. What took you from clear expert to the decision that you were going to write this book and you just had to write this book? I would love to hear that story. I'm sure our listeners would too. Probably like most authors, it was a combination of frustration and stupidity (laughs) to actually start (laughs) writing a book. And then just pure hubris once you got about to the halfway point to just get it done. Um, but what I found out is, and I've always done quite a bit of writing throughout my career. I think as a as a management consultant, you can't get away from it. And I don't necessarily find it uh, the most onerous task to do writing. So I figured, okay, use that bit of skill to get all of these things that you've been sharing in these boardrooms out to everybody else. Because as somebody who's in the space, you see all these things happening around you all the time. You see the news, you see even your friends and family, their individual actions, and you kind of go, okay, how do I put my professional hat on this and, and share the message in the, the biggest way possible? So that's how I finally sat down and, and wrote at least the first one. Uh, the second one, I think it was it was just, it's just stupidity to want to do a book a second time around. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because did you, did you self-publish your first book? Yes, that's right. So and, self-published the first and then pub- and publishing through a house in the second. And traditionally published the second. So what happened there in that transition? So you self-published the first. Why did you choose to do that? Yeah, so I had had, or I, I suppose I still have, I'm an agent in, in the U.S. And the process had been going, I think, gosh, since 2016, where I had the the nucleus of an idea for an entirely different book. Uh, and then her trying to sell in that book to through the traditional process was a very long, tedious thing to do. And it was also very hit and miss. So once a year, she would go out to these fairs and do the, oh, the wow. pitching rounds. And then there would be no responses because I think at that time, sustainability probably wasn't as sexy as it might be today. So it was a very hard sell in. So I thought, okay, well, you know, things aren't getting any better and I can't really wait around because this issue is so important to me, but also to everybody else that, you know, I I just have to get it out there. And so I bit the bullet and, you know, it did take a bit of a a change of mindset. And I think that's probably for a lot of people going out into the publishing world that that probably is an important part that one has to get out of this idea that you have to go a traditional publishing route. That's not always the case. A lot of times, yes, you have to. Uh, but certain times, you know, if you have a message that you want to get out there, get it out there. So yeah. there are plenty of avenues now to, and I hate that I'm about to use this phrase, to democratize the writing process where you can get it out to everybody. Yeah, I actually use that phrase, uh, I th- you know, democratizing ideas. I think that's that's one of the most important reasons to write a book. And something I notice, and I bet I'm betting you have too, and you might have even experienced, is that before you write a book, probably the people in your silo, right? The people in your subject matter area are very familiar with your ideas. They're familiar with your work. They're from they're receiving the value and utilizing the value that you have from your experience. And until you write a book, it's only those people. That's because- it. I'm sure they're tired of seeing my LinkedIn posts. <laughs> Right. And you're going to the same conferences and you're going to the same meetings and you know the same people. And so all that value gets locked up in this little silo 
and no matter how how big the silo is it's little compared to the mass market right <laughs> that's exactly right and and the audience for these books and it's it's not a it's not a professional audience per se it's not people in my silo that was the issue is that we as as sustainability folks we love to talk amongst ourselves but that's not the point <laughs> the point is to get other people to to action the things we're talking about so we can't speak to them in the same voice so getting these books out there in a voice that's very approachable that that speaks to everybody not just the scientists or government officials is is so so important and that also necessitated getting getting a book out to the public so how was that for you in the writing switching voices to to a more democratic uh, mass market voice versus talking or writing to your peers. Did, did you struggle with that at all? Or did it feel pretty natural? Or how was that for you? I loved it. I loved the the being able to just speak in my own voice. I feel the the management consultant voice is obviously quite contrived. So being able to speak <laughs> as I would speak to anybody. And I think, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but from what I understand of people's reviews of, of these books in my writing, it is a, a, a unique-ish style where it's it's just speaking like, you know, like normal, like a normal human being, which is what people want. So that was that was very refreshing. And I think that probably helped with the writing process, because when thoughts are just going from the brain to the fingers to the page, it's a lot easier when you're not having to constantly second guess, okay, am I saying the right thing? Uh, it is very, <laughs> in a lot of ways, an edited train of thought, which is nice. And I warn people at the very beginning that that's what they're getting themselves into. Um, and that, that includes a lot of a lot of profanity, which, uh, you know, some, some SEO... Uh, and and websites don't is, like. Yeah, is this why? Uh, well, you know, I'll have to say, looking at your table of contents, I can't read most of a lot of these chapter headings. Um, not all, not most of them. At least a couple. I can't really read them on our show if we want to keep our G rating. I'll, I'll put it that way. Maybe that'll get some people excited to go check it out for sure. <laughs> if, it's, if it's not sustainability. <laughs> So, so I know you had mentioned that this is a bit of a challenge on Amazon. So you want to say a little bit more about that or? Absolutely. So certainly through the, the self-publishing process, a lot of the, the hook that Amazon gives you is, oh, we have all of these promotional opportunities that are at your disposal. And yes, that's absolutely true. They do. There are plenty of things that are relatively uh, inexpensive by and large to do promotional through Amazon, but not if there's profanity in the title or uh, as part of the book. So I ran up into that at the very beginning when I tried to promote it and it kept getting kicked back because of the profanity in the title. So fair warning to everybody, uh, be very mindful of the rules and regulations around promotion. Now, let me ask you, so did you consider taking out the BS from your subtitle? <laughs> no, because in in my world, BS, and it's just BS, uh, is, is, is not <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> I know. I, I'm surprised that goes in the category of profanity. That's right. Um, <laughs> So in yeah. the second book, I definitely did not use profanity in the title. Learn my lesson. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. So uh, sustainability for the rest of us. All right. Now, listen, you got to tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what do you mean for the rest of us? Absolutely. So the book really goes through what I see as very simple switches that everybody can make. And I'm not taking this from the perspective of we need to go live off the grid, give up your cell phone, give up your international flights. I love 
taking my international flights. I love sitting on a beach in Thailand. I'm not giving that up. I don't expect anybody realistically to give that up either. So that's not where I'm starting from. Hugging the trees, saving the polar bears, all that is amazing. Not my thing. I'm much more of a, what I call myself, a pragmatic altruist. I am very realistic about the things we need to do. I know that our starting point is now, not the dark ages. So what do we do if that's the reality? And that's where the book starts from. So The biggest piece of the book is really to help people understand a lot of the myths and misunderstandings around sustainability, because it is such a loaded topic. People have different interpretations of what it means to them and what it means in general. So I tried to dispel a lot of that through a a really approachable method, really giving nice little insights and tidbits and and helping people understand a lot of what I see behind the scenes that they might not be exposed to, but certainly in a way that uh, is easy to grasp. And then it's just giving really five strong tips around what people can do. And these aren't things like, oh, go recycle. I'm talking more at the very high level. So people can then interpret that as they want. And a really good example of that is how we approach this idea of you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important for people to realize because people do care. I am a very strong believer that people care and they want to make a difference. But because of that, they feel like they have to do it all themselves. That is not the case. And I'll, I'll wax poetic for a second, but there are millions of people that are also out there trying to do a better thing. So my encouragement for everybody is instead of trying to do it all and burning yourself out, pick something that you're most passionate about, something that you might have a special skill in, or if you're financially sound, congratulations, it's something you can donate money to because that's just as important and really stick to that with the understanding that there are others that will pick up where maybe you're not able to. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Because it's true. I think when you get overwhelmed with all the things you could do, a lot of times people just decide to do nothing, which is the worst outcome. I think that's where we are now is a lot of people sitting back going, I'm just one of almost 10 billion people. What am I supposed to do about all this? But my message is there's plenty you can still do. You know, it's funny because now that you say that, because I was walking on the beach the other day because I'm blessed that I live a short walk distance from the beach. And I was walking on the beach the other day and I didn't bring my four ocean bag. So I, I couldn't pick up very much, but I ran into a couple items that I just had to pick up because they're really dangerous for the wildlife. And so I picked up two or three things and I thought to myself, wow, if everybody in the planet picked up and properly disposed of two or three pieces of trash every day, or even just every adult, (laughs) everyone or everyone who's able-bodied enough to, you know, I don't know. I mean, but I mean, what a simple thing. But what a huge, that would be uh, 16 billion pieces of trash every day. That's exactly right. I don't know what we do with it. I don't think, let, I don't know. Let my people worry about that. <laughs> I don't know that we have all the receptacles for it, but, but I mean, really, it, but it is such a small thing, but it's such a big thing. So I get what, yeah, I get what you're saying. That's it. Little, to, little well, solutions have... bring, little solutions bring very big impact. So I, I don't want people to forget that in seeing all of these crazy things, all this doom and gloom that's happening. Uh, you know, not one person should not have the weight of the world on on their shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. So you said something before we got into this next thing about, behind the scenes things that you talk about in the first chapter. So 
Tell us one of those because I love my, <laughs> I love behind the scenes things. <laughs> my favorite, and it's an example that that I give a lot because I think it's so so interesting, and especially for an American audience, um, is is my experience working as a consultant with Walmart. And I know people here. Wal- there, there's the eyes. There it is. The, <laughs> the the oh my god, it's Satan incarnate. How could you do that? Uh, and and you know what? In a lot of ways, yes, they're terrible. They're a really bad company, especially in the U.S. with workers' rights and labor rights. They're bad. But in the developing world, so I spent a large part of my career in in China, they're doing amazing things in their supply chain where they're going in and they're educating primarily female workers on really important skills that they may have missed either in life or in in school. So for example, soft skills like personal health and wellness, communication skills, family planning, uh, all of these sort of things that don't necessarily... They do help them be a better worker, but also they just help them be a better human being in general. And there are long, boring ways as to as to why a company would want to do this, both altruistically and pragmatically. But uh, it's a really good sort of behind the scenes peek of a company that a lot of people, you know, rightfully so, think is the devil, but in a lot of ways they're doing amazing things as well. Mm-hmm. And and we're talking on the order of, you know, millions of women have gone through these programs. So it's not just a few people in a factory. There's a lot of people going through this. And that's the, and, and one of the things I talk about quite a bit is the impact that the private sector can have on sustainability. I know a lot of people think we should keep them at arm's length, but I think, A, they got us into this mess. They should be responsible for picking it up. But also they have access to capital capacity resources that individuals yeah. couldn't even imagine having. Yeah, and and they're generating a lot of this stuff without paying anything. That's exactly right. Yeah. So now now it's time to pay up. Quite a long time. So yeah, I'm I'm all for that. I'm all for that. All right. Now I know you're not here to talk about your books, but I'm going to make because I'm too curious. So I'm going to I'm going to artfully get you to talk about it. So after your first book, after you had challenges finding a publisher for book one. What shifted in between that had you go for a traditional deal with the great greenwashing? So it can all be traced back to a single conversation I had with someone who has gone the traditional route. And I was encouraged to to talk to this person about his experience going uh, the traditional route and his thoughts on the process. And he's published, I don't even know how many books, the traditional way. And he said, hey, look, you know, your message is so important and it does need to go out there. And he totally understood the the let's just self-publish and get it out of the way and not worry about that traditional methodology. And he said, yeah, that's all fine and good. But you will never get the reach that you would for this message if you don't go through through a traditional house. And even with all their foibles and the the uphill battles of finding a traditional house and a lot of the things that they do and don't do for you, even when you do sign them, it's it's really important that you have some sort of a backing that will help you get out to audiences that a self-publishing route would never allow you to. And that's what did it. It's about getting the message out. Now, you went with an Australian publisher. Was it... That's right. So Melbourne Books is my is my current publisher, and I've just signed with the House of Anansi. They're um, the publisher for Margaret Atwood and Noam Chomsky in the U.S., so they'll have the rights to North America. Um, so, and Melbourne Books is a very small publishing house, uh, as you could probably tell by the name. But just by signing them, I'm now linked up with this massive house in North America. And then through Penguin Distributing as well, which is something oh, I would have never been able to do. Yes. So... So the the 
long nights and the many emails and the many, you know, pushbacks from all of these houses around the world to finally get to the one uh, was definitely worth it. Yeah, that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank that, you. That's, that distribution will be meaningful. Hi, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? Everyone says writing a book can help your business, but few understand the mechanics of how a book actually makes your business grow. In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I've been helping world-class experts write world-changing books for over 20 years. Many of my clients have tripled their income within weeks of completing our proprietary book concept development process, and others have gone on to increase their business income 600x or more once their book was out. That's why I'm excited to announce that my team and I are hosting an exclusive two-day live workshop called the Book and Business Development Bootcamp. This is the first time I've hosted this bootcamp in person since COVID began back in 2020. And I'm looking forward to rolling up my sleeves and helping you get the same results that dozens of participants have seen over the past seven years that I've offered this. During our two days together, we will have two primary objectives. First, to help you find your clear saleable concept for your book. And second, to determine ways that you will be able to leverage your book to grow your brand and your business. This is not a phony Amazon bestseller program, nor is it one of those write a subpar book in a weekend courses. You get to work with me for two days, side by side, no gimmicks, no BS. Together, we will map out a book concept and outline that will help you not only thrive in business, but create a bigger impact for your readers. If this sounds like it could be a good fit for you, then go to www robincolucci.com forward slash bootcamp to apply for one of our exclusive spots. To give participants the most value, we've really limited the space. We only allow five people to register for the course at a time. So we only take the people who are ready to write their book and go to the next level. So once again, you can find that application when you go to the link www.robincolucci.com forward slash bootcamp. Now, let's get back to the show. So obviously the book doesn't come out till June, 2023, but just give us a taste of what are you talking about, John? <laughs> Absolutely. So this is something that may be quite a new part of sustainability that people don't know about, but it's certainly happening. So post-COVID, what myself and a lot of my colleagues were noticing is a massive uptick in what we call greenwashing. Now, greenwashing is when companies will sort of wrap themselves in this language of sustainability and doing good, but it's usually to throw you off the scent of a lot of bad things that are happening. Now, a lot of companies greenwash. Some of it is on purpose. It's built into the marketing mix. Those are the companies I'm talking about, not the ones that might do it accidentally. They get a pass. They'll fix themselves. It's the ones that are really egregious, like those in the oil and gas industry that like to say, oh, we're building a carbon neutral future. No, you're not. There's no way you can. Or right. companies in fa fast fashion that ask you to recycle your clothes. Meanwhile, you know, they have sweatshops in Bangladesh. 
So these sort of companies that that are very outwardly lying to you. So there's been a massive uptick in that post COVID. I think primarily because companies are now realizing, oh, I can make a buck off this sustainability stuff. Let me and people care. Let me let me do that. So they're mm. they're they're starting to do a lot of uh, really slick marketing, but. I am confident that consumers are not so dumb. <laughs> that consumers can see through this. They just need the right information to understand how to identify when it's happening to them. Now, as I started to write the book and as I started to, to piece all this together, I thought, oh, well, it doesn't really stop at corporations, does it? Because governments do it. They love to lie to us. Politicians oh. love it. It's sort of in their DNA. Uh, <laughs> you know, even big groups like the Olympic Committee, FIFA, as we've seen with their with the recent World Cup, all of the bribery and uh, environmental scandals that are happening there. And then I peeled back another layer and I thought, oh, well, you know what? All of these celebrities are doing it too. And these, these idiots on, on TikTok and Instagram are doing it as well. So why not talk about them? And then I wrapped the book up by talking about all of us, because I think in a lot of ways, some of the things we're doing is greenwashing too. But until we know that we're doing it, uh, you know, there's no way we can fix it. So that's a really small snapshot of what's in the book. Oh, well, that's all like very exciting. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about like, I keep hearing like we're all recycling, you know, taking our recycling to the curb every week, but really a lot of it's not getting recycled, right? 90% does not get recycled, <laughs> which is not something I want to tell people because then it dissuades them from doing it. Keep your recycling up. I think it's been such a success. I mean, I'm, I'm from, I'm from Southern California. I've been recycling since I was a kid, you know, it's, it's in my DNA as well. And I don't want anybody to give that up. You know, if you look at a place like Germany, it's, next level recycling there. Uh, and, and I want that to continue to happen. But I just want people to understand the reality that globally, only about 8% of total waste comes from households. The other 92% comes from corporations. And even with that, only about 10% gets recycled because we don't have the capacity, but also we don't have the means to recycle. So, uh, you know, different plastics are a good example. I think it's something like 75 or 80% of plastics are not recycled because we don't have the mechanisms to do it. So it looks good on paper to say, yeah, we're, we're recycling our plastic, but once it gets to that recycling center, it's not actually doing anything. So I suppose the overall message is keep doing it, keep okay. recycling, but don't rely on just that to say, oh, I can sit back now. I've saved the world because you have it. <laughs> Do you talk a any at all about public pressure on corporations or um, governments? It's a very what big what that deal. looks like in terms of us individuals. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very big part of it. And I think for a lot of companies, uh, primarily for most companies that probably got involved in their sustainability journey at the very early stages of sustainability. So I'm talking, you know, 20-ish years ago. You have an example like Nike. Nike didn't care much about sustainability or their supply chain until they realized they were kids making their shoes. Then all of a sudden, the public pressure was there and they went, oh my God, we need to fix this. And for me, the ends justify the means. So it got them there and that's great. It was a bad thing that happened, but you know, we fixed it. And a lot of that was because of public pressure. If people just let their foot off the gas and didn't say anything about it to Nike, if they continued to buy shoes made with child labor, then we wouldn't be where we are now. The same is happening today. And I am a very big believer that we're in this sort of transitional period now where there's increasing amounts of public pressure, increasing amounts of, of understanding from corporations that they need to change. It's not an on-off switch. It's not going to happen tomorrow. We need to give them a bit of time, but keep the pressure on them. But I believe in, let's say, if I'm optimistic, 10 years, maybe 15 years time, when a consumer goes to the, the grocery store shelf or they go to buy something, 
every selection will be a sustainable good selection because corporations will have done 90% of the work. Our job then will just be to pick something, which is very different than today where we have to do research. We have to pay more and you have to make a concerted (laughs) choice if you want to do good. We're in a transition period. We're going to get there where we as a consumer won't have to do all that work in the uh, not too distant future. And what would you advise us to do to nudge it along? Is there anything we can do to encourage them? It's all, and this is, this sounds trite, but it's all about speaking with your dollars. It's, it's selecting those companies that are doing the right thing. And if that does maybe require you to pay a bit more or do a bit of research, I think that is uh, not too big of a cost to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting, right? A lot of the innovations that have come out, I now wash my clothes with sheets of detergent sheets. So they're not in big plastic bottles or plastic pods. It's just fascinating. And all of that's exponential. It's like technology. It's going to be even better, but it's just, you know, and it's easy to carry around. I mean, if I was still, I wish they had sheets when I still had to use a laundromat. That's what (laughs) that would have been amazing because (laughs) I I don't miss the days, you know, climbing down six flights of stairs in my small New York, New York city apartment to get to the laundromat. A giant bottle of whatever. In the middle of winter, no less. (laughs) Dodging, dodging the slush puddles. Yeah. Yeah, it really is uh, amazing. A lot of the the technology that has come forward, and um... and there's so much of that happening behind the scenes as well that a lot of people, you know, they don't really need to know about. They just need to benefit from it. But there there is so much happening that it's uh, it, it makes me as a sustainability professional get up in the morning. I know a lot of people ask, how do you deal with this when you know everything is just you know, going to pot. And I have to say, well, you know, I, I know what's happening behind the scenes. And that's what makes me positive about about the things that we're doing. Well, that is very encouraging to hear. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, I'm not so a doom and gloomer. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about um, your different experiences with the, tr- with the self-publishing and the traditional, because I know just about everyone who comes to me one of their first questions is usually, which route should I take? And I really agree with you, right? It should be a strategic decision. So um, I guess like what what would you say was the, the, the three best things about self-publishing and the th- three worst things about self-publishing? And then we'll, we'll play the other side too. I love that question. That's a really good way to frame it. So it all comes down to your own personality, I suppose, in your working style and the the drive you have, because warning to everybody, writing a book is not an easy process. If it was, everybody would do it. Uh, it's, it, it is draining. It is an exhausting process. And to even to do this on your own through a self-publishing process, that's kind of a misnomer. You're not really on your own because you still need to bring in people. You still need to have your your tribe that promotes the book. You still need to have an editor. That's always a good thing to have at the end of the process. So you still have to go through all that. Yeah. Um, so I suppose on the, the positive side of self-publishing, it is the ability to just have your own say in the entire process. So there is nobody, uh, you know, holding their hand over your head to to do anything. That's, uh, I suppose that's a good and a bad thing <laughs> because they need to be quite lazy. That's a so double uh, sword but yeah. That's it. So it depends the kind of person you are. If that's, if that's fine and you have the drive to be able to trust yourself in doing that, go for it. Uh, so that's, I'll take that as my positive and my negative, my first one. <laughs> on the, on the, uh, on the positive side, continuing with that, I think as well, the, the learning process, I think, is super important. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, I am very happy that I went the 
the self-publishing route the first time around because it gave me all of these skills that I didn't have before. So the skill of understanding and I had to write a book. So I had to do all of that research myself. I didn't have anybody telling me what to do. That's super important. Um, one of my first roles at uh, at the United Nations was as an editor. So it helped me to hone my editing chops uh, more than having somebody just do everything for me would have. So that's also a positive. And then the marketing side of things, really understanding how all of that works is mm-hmm. also a, a positive of going the traditional or sorry, the, uh, the self-publishing route. And I suppose a third positive with self-publishing would be <laughs> trying to think through positives because it's usually the negatives that are coming to mind uh, <laughs> uh, is, is certainly uh, the, the creative freedom. So not just the freedom of, of planning and processing, but the creative freedom to do what you want. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, that came back and bit me on the butt. But you know what? I still was able to get out what I wanted, how I wanted it. So those are the positives. Um, <laughs> The negatives are are much easier to think through. So certainly <laughs> uh, having to do the lift of understanding the technical process yeah. is, and I'm thinking particularly through, through Amazon is quite daunting and confusing. And I almost sort of gave up and gave it to somebody to do, but I thought, no, John, do it to yourself. This is what you wanted. And <laughs> that's, it's not easy to understand the tech specifics, the, the getting it out there and to making sure you, to make sure you do it right. Because I think, I'm I'm sure there are versions of the first book floating around that were probably my my mess ups that I published and needed to retract and take back because I something with the formatting some really rinky ding thing was wrong uh, which is super aggravating as as a quasi perfectionist to find that something isn't <laughs> quite lining yeah. up with a margin on page three hundred fifty two right it's really annoying <laughs> so that that was a drawback to not have somebody do that uh, and and then the third would be the marketing side of things so the learning the marketing was great doing the marketing not so great um, and hopefully that's a good uh, good coattail into the traditional publishing route now. Great. Yeah, let's go there. So the marketing <laughs> is the positive. <laughs> speaking, of there, speaking of marketing, their their ability in the traditional houses to market for you is great. And it's something that even though the book is currently in pre-sale in Australia, New Zealand, and the Commonwealth, the marketing is already going out there. We still have three months until until it's actually launched, which is, I know, not a lot of time, but still things are happening without us even trying, which is amazing just because of the network. So that certainly was something that is, is a positive. And I know, at least in my research and my talking to people, the marketing was always something that came up as in the traditional houses, something they don't actually do. They just say they do for you. And, and it's really up to the the author themselves to do all the marketing and to pay for all of it. These are the, the stories you hear. And that's not been my experience. They've been amazing with marketing. We had a meeting last Friday on a very long marketing plan that I planned. And they even paired it back and said, no, not realistic. You should be doing this, this, and this will help you out with all of this stuff. So very different than what I thought the process was going to be, where they were just going to say, oh, here's your book. Good luck. That, that's not how it's working with them. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. So that's been a positive. The editing process has been amazing. So having that extra set of eyes to really look something over that you can trust. I had to vet uh, editors during the, um, the self-publishing route, which is always tough because you don't know what you're getting. And I ended up with an amazing editor. So I'm really happy with that. But it could have gone south mm-hmm. with the traditional house i mean obviously they know what they're doing and it's it behooves them to sell the book too so they're they they have a vested interest which i think is the third part that they are a true partner with you to really get this thing out there versus just somebody that's uh you know trying to make a quick buck off of you because sustainability doesn't make money right <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I suppose the uh, on the negative side of things, the the not so positive with the traditional houses, the the finding the house is not easy. The the being able to have a real strong a strong mentality going into this uh to know that you're going to get people saying no uh, i had a few saying uh, i think the ones that sort of hurt the most in terms of the rejection letters were the ones that say oh we don't see a market for that uh-huh. and which i know is not true and i think as an author you need to know that there's a market for your book or else kind of why are you doing it don't just do it for fun <laughs> uh know that there is a market for you and those were the the rejection letters that sort of hurt the most not because it was a uh, a kick in the ego it was because i understand the importance of the message and unfortunately these traditional houses uh Maybe they don't, or maybe they just didn't have a slot for it, or they don't see the the monetary value in it, which is so outdated and frustrating and probably why I went the self-publishing route to begin with. Yeah. And I'll just, I mean, having, you know, I, I we work a lot with traditional publishers and I think that uh, first of all, it's not in the wheelhouse of a lot of publishers. And if it's not in the wheelhouse, they don't know how to promote an environmental book and they might've dabbled in an environmental book. I think this is code for... Yeah, we tried an environmental book and it didn't sell. And so we're, so this is our code word. There's no market for that. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just guessing, I'm not saying, and we're not talking any, anything specific, but uh, yeah, I think, I think that if you don't know how to sell an environmental book, it's, it's different than selling uh, some of the other su- subject matters. And so maybe if I was really petty, I would include a uh, chapter on, Publishing house greenwashing in my new book. <laughs> really get back at them for rejecting me. I'm not I, petty. I wonder if they're recycling all those books they had to pull off the shelves at Simon and Schuster. <laughs> oh, that's just me. I shouldn't say that. I hope they are. Um, what, a, what, a, oh, what a bummer that was. Okay, so uh, now, did we have? Was that three negatives or yeah? That I think was... I owe I think I owe you one more negative you owe me from, one the more. Right. from the traditional from the traditional side. You're on it. You're good. Um, uh, so I think the final not so positive with the traditional publishing houses is, and this could actually be my own thing, my own lack of research or understanding is, um, or maybe just my own pride is giving up a bit of of the creative process or the understanding of the process in general. So I I suppose. I suppose I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into in signing a contract with um, with the traditional publishing house with Melbourne Books. They've been amazing, and and I'm very supportive of them, and they're supportive of me. But not knowing, sort of, okay, I, I need to give them this by this by this date, and oh, yeah. then they just take it, and I don't hear from them for a while while they're reading the book, and all of these things that are happening behind the scenes that they definitely know what they're doing. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> they're not trying to they're not trying to hide anything from me. But as a as someone who's gone through the process as a self-publisher and had control of everything, ceding that control to to people that I just met was uh, a little bit of a shift in mindset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I can understand that because because it, it, what I'm hearing is that you just didn't know exactly where the book was at all times, right? So when you're self-publishing, you know, oh, it's with this editor or it's with the layout person. And I just talked to the cover designer. So they're going to have something for me next week. And when the traditional publisher takes it, they're just like, okay. I mean, a lot of times we send in a a manuscript and they they say, okay, thanks. This is great. Thanks. And we don't hear from them for four months. (laughs) And that's sort of what happened. And, and, you know, then I, I, I had, you know, as I periodically, 
periodically do. I Googled my name on, you know, I Googled my name just to see if there were any, you know, bites or anything that had come up in the news. And I saw that the book was able, was out for pre-sale and the cover was there. And I thought, oh, I didn't approve the cover. Oh no. Oh, and I well, looked and yeah. it was, but I mean, it was all, it, it had, it had sort of been approved in a way and it was, it was up <laughs> and they had done their job. And that's how I got this, you know, deal with the house of a Nancy and it all worked. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. I just had to trust the process. <laughs> You know, and having worked with both self-published authors and traditionally published authors, I can say from experience that sometimes 100% creative control is overrated. Yeah. And it can be a tremendous blessing to have someone who actually, for example, covers. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> right? And to have a team who specializes, because it's a it's an art in itself. A great cover design is an art in itself. And to have people who really know what they're doing making the cover uh, is, I mean, let's face it, most self-published books, even a layperson can look at a row of books and tell you exactly which ones are self-published by the cover. 100%. As long as that's true, all authors must remember that 100% creative control could be potentially overrated in some ways. (laughs) They know what they're doing. Then I'll rescind that comment. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think you're safe for now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I cannot believe how the time has flown. All right. Listen, John, you're amazing. I I, I have had so much fun talking with you before I let you go. uh, I'm going to ask you my final signature question, which is what have I not asked you that you would love to answer? (laughs) Oh, um, and and for anybody listening, this wasn't scripted. I didn't get this beforehand, which is why the pregnant pause right now, which I love. I love being put on the spot. I just like to put you on the spot. Testing my my consulting chops. Thank you. Um, <laughs> at at what is at what is seven thirty in the morning in Australia? By the way, everybody. So give. Me oh, that. okay. Well. <laughs> It's been really amazing today. <laughs> um, the one thing that you haven't asked that I would like to share is, and it's not a question, I suppose it's more just a, a statement or a comment from my side, is just the encouragement to to people that, especially for this audience, you know, if you have an idea in mind, get it out there. Don't think it is a stupid idea. Don't think it is something that nobody is going to read. Are you going to make billions? Maybe not. Are you going to be a New York Times bestselling author? Maybe not. And that's okay. That's not the point of writing. The point of writing is to get your message out there and to certainly put a a, a stamp on your your time in the world, I think is super important too. And it doesn't matter what that message is. If it's important to you, it is important to somebody else. It doesn't need to to change the world. It do, If it does, it's it, that's even better. But it certainly uh, should be important to yourself to get the message out there and to go through this process. It is a learning process. It is a very... A certainly a beneficial life-changing process to have written a book, let alone two, let alone, I don't know how people do eight and nine and 10 like they do. That's crazy. But uh, certainly certainly a, a beneficial process to understanding how to write a book, getting the book out there, and, and really being able to, at the end of the day, hold something physical in your hand that you've created. And then the, and this should not be the the end goal, but the way it changes perceptions of you as well, especially if you're a professional, um, to have that book and have your name printed on something, even if it is a, a shoddy sort of self-published cover. Oh, uh, now, John, still... you're going too far. No, no, no. <laughs> Everybody needs to hire a good book designer. 
that's and right. Your advice, please. Is 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 definitely, <laughs> you know, definitely encouraged. So definitely do that. It changes people's <laughs> changes people's perceptions. Um, and it's it's an amazing process. So even though some of these negative things have come out in this conversation, uh, I wouldn't have changed anything for the world. Well, thank you for that encourage those encouraging words. And and I I think that you're you're so correct. I because I, you know, obviously anybody who's thinking about writing a book. Uh, one of the first questions that comes right after thinking about writing a book is who am I to write a book? And I, I really hope our listeners will take with them, if nothing else, take take John's final message, which is um, if you have something, if you feel like you ought to write a book, if you have that drive inside you, because not everyone does, then you are supposed to, and you should do it. If a Kardashian can do it, you can do it. <laughs> and yes, I know they didn't write their own books, but yes, if they can do it, you can do it too. There you go. Well, on that note, John, thank you again for being with us on The Author's Corner. Robin, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.